0: Would you open the Word of God with me today? We're going to go first to our um, our passage in Exodus. So, the Bible begins with the book of Genesis, and then just shortly after that is the book of Exodus. And we are in Exodus chapter 2 today. And we just invite you to follow along with us, and then just immediately following the reading of the Scripture, both Scriptures, then we will invite the children, if you would like to make your way to a special time of worship Following the scripture readings, we invite you to go join your, your friends and family there. Last week, we looked at the birth of Moses together in Exodus chapter 2. Uh, and, and this week, um, we're continuing that story beginning at verse 11. So an amazing thing has happened. We went from Moses being drawn out of the water to, to him being 40 years of age, 40 years old. The Bible jumped 40 years in, in one verse uh, uh, but I think we have to remember that God wants us to see particular details of different uh, different characters' lives. So we pick up the story now, uh, Moses still a prince of Egypt, still in Pharaoh's household, uh, but now 40 years old beginning in verse 11. One day, Exodus chapter 2 says, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, there were two Hebrews struggling together. So the first time, it's an Egyptian and a Hebrew. Now it's two Hebrews struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, literally the wicked man, he said, Why do you strike your companion? And the man answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. And thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. So we've had this encounter between an Egyptian and a Hebrew, between two Hebrews. Now we see a third encounter here. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And when they came and drew water, there's that same expression, drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock, the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you come home so soon today? I'm sorry, that just breaks my heart. In other words... They'd been constantly abused by those other shepherds, right? Day after day. So that when they came home on time, the father thought that they were early. When they came home to their father, he said, how is it that you come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said, he said to his daughters, then where is he? I think this is the biblical version of hello. Right? Where is he? Why have you left this man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And just like we saw in Genesis with, with Jacob, um, this man, uh, Ruel, gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son. And he called his name, Moses called his name Gershom, which sounds a lot like sojourner, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The very word of God.
1: Our New Testament verse today is found in the book of Hebrews, which is about two thirds of the way through the New Testament. Chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. If you look in your pew Bible on page 1008, you should be able to find it there. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The very Word of God. Mm, Thanks be to God. Goodness. Have a seat, guys.
0: Thank you. Have you ever um have you ever um, tried to help someone else out and it backfired on you? Have you ever in a in a moment um thought you know if I do this, maybe this would make someone's life better and and then discovered that it didn't make their life better at all it it actually made their situation worse. It happens all the time in fact, I was just astounded to discover that it happened um, last week. And I don't want to risk it in, in politics or anything like this, but there was um, a situation where um, many weeks ago where a, a woman police officer came home, parked on the wrong floor of her parking garage, went in the door of the apartment complex, went to her room, right? She thought it was her room. She's on the wrong floor. Sees the door open, finds a man inside, and shoots him dead. Shoots him dead. And just, just tragedy written all over this thing. This police officer, Amber, Amber Geiger, just, just absolutely beside herself, right? This, this tragedy happens, but, but, but there was, there was um, some confusion about what what consequences there should be. Clearly, it was an accident, but at the same time, clearly, someone is dead because someone wasn't careful about it. And so, the neighbor guy, his name was Joshua Brown, was called to, um, would you testify about what you heard and saw that night? He heard the shots. He came out and, and encountered Amber uh, Geiger. And and, and so he's called to testify about it, Right. At that moment, do I do this? Do I do this, right? And, and, and Joshua is his name, right? That name should ring a bell for some of us. Joshua um, testified, and, and she was convicted. Maybe not as much as people thought she should have been. She got 10 years in prison for her, um, for her um, you know, uh, tragic, I don't know how to describe it, shooting. Well, the day, I believe it was the day after last week, that um, that she was sentenced. Um, Joshua was shot dead outside of his home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't explain it. I don't. I, I. I. You know. I can't explain it. I just know that sometimes bad things happen. When we intervene, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm just really tempted then to not intervene, right? I'm tempted to not risk getting involved, right? If I get involved, then, then it's going to cost me something, right? And, and maybe if I get involved, it's going to cost me everything, right? But Joshua Brown risks that. Moses risked that. In our, in our story today, we see that 40 years into this, and, and Moses' life breaks out into these 40s. 40 years into his life, Moses, um, it says, how did it put it in Exodus? Moses went out, right, to his people and looked upon their burdens. It's interesting that the word that's used right there in the original language, Moses exodus Moses exodised to his people. Moses has, has chosen to, to say, I'm going to step outside my comfort zone. I'm going to step outside my cocoon. I'm going to step outside this amazing blessing that God has given me of being brought up in the wealthiest home in all the known world at that time, right? And, and, and Moses stepped out. I want to suggest to you that we're going to see Moses Intervening three times today, and I want to start right here by looking at this first time at a critical juncture in his life. At forty years of age, Moses intervened for his people. Moses intervened for his people. Right now, again, Acts um, Acts seven is Stephen's version of the seven story. We saw the author of the book of Hebrews story. A version of the story as well. They, with amazing spiritual insight, they were able to see things that we're not told in this story. But, but Acts chronicles four, or excuse me, three seasons of forty years in Moses' life. It chronicles this first forty years that he spent with Pharaoh. Then, then it chronicles another forty-year period of time that he spent in the wilderness, and then it chronicles yet one more period of time as he delivered his people. God is building in the heart of this man. A heart for his people. And Moses takes the first step here. Rightly or wrongly, however you understand this, he takes the first step by intervening for his people. God has given Moses a heart for his people. And I'm going to call this first going out, I'm going to call this the second exodus. Sorry for the confusion, because you're probably thinking about another exodus. That's the third one. This is the second exodus for Moses. The second exodus is when Moses has been drawn out to his own people. Now, did his people understand, right? The text says Moses went out to his people. It seems that Moses knew that he was a Hebrew. He knew who he really was. And I can't tell you how he knew. We're not told how he knew. Maybe his mother who nursed him told him early on. But... but. Perhaps maybe he figured it out all by himself. Maybe it was obvious. Maybe he looked different than, than the other people around him. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But I know at this moment, all of a sudden, he owned who he really was. God gave him a heart for his own people. But God also gave him a heart for justice. For justice, right? The, the Hebrew word here that's used for looked... That Moses went out and looked upon his people, looked upon their burdens, right? This Hebrew word, looked, really means more than just watching or seeing. It means to see and be impacted. It means to see and to feel. It means to see and feel and, and be drawn to action. As a result, it's the same word that was used earlier in Genesis, in Genesis 21, when Hagar was sent away from Sarah. And, and she was so concerned, she thought that that her son Ishmael would, would die. And she said, I cannot do this. I cannot look upon my son's death. She had to take action instead. It's the same word that's used to describe God, that God looked upon the burdens and oppression of his people and he and he engaged, he got involved emotionally, and he got involved physically. He did something about it. So God has given Moses a heart for his own people and he's he's given him a heart for justice. But how does Moses respond, right? How does he respond? He ends up, and it's a powerful word, striking down the Egyptian. There's always more than we can explore together on a Sunday morning. But it's the same word that was later used when God struck down the Egyptians at the beginning of the third exodus. But let me press pause on that larger story for a second and just say there's a difference between defending and avenging. Right? Right? There's a difference between defending and avenging. Uh, Acts, again, gives us tremendous help. Stephen's story of this event gives us tremendous help. In Acts 7.24, we read, And seeing, there's that word, seeing one of his own people being wronged, he defended the oppressed man. Right? Good. (laughs) This is good. And, and I wrote it in big capital letters, and... Avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Well, you something's echoing in the back of your minds right now. You're, a scripture is echoing. It's probably, it's probably Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? Not yours. Not yours. Paul picked it up in Romans 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath, the calculated consequences of God, right? For it's written, Vengeance is mine. And Paul quotes Deuteronomy 32. The author of the book of Hebrews, the same one from that passage earlier, says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. I don't know about you, but that just absolutely sets me free, right? I. I'm called to defend the powerless. I am called to stand for people who cannot stand for themselves, right? I'm called to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves, but I'm not called to do what only God can do, to avenge injustice. So did Moses overreact? I have to be very careful. I have to be very careful. The Scripture doesn't use the word it could have used. It could have said Moses murdered. And probably there's, there's this inkling that you and I have of the same thing. This is justifiable homicide, right? We, we all know those situations that are justifiable homicide. The problem with Amber Geiger's situation was, was that she was the one in the wrong. She went into this other guy's house and, 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 and shot him. It was not justifiable homicide. And, and at whatever level, um, as justice... Accounted for that, and and she's in prison today as a result. But I just want you to note that that God does call you to defend. In fact, our problem is probably not that that we that we avenge. Our problem is that we um, seal up our hearts. Like I shared with you before, I do every time that darn commercial comes on about pets. And the music is in the background. Is it Sally Struthers whose voice is on there or something? And, and and I just have to say, I rebuke you, TV, right? Because I'm about to go adopt 15 more pets into my house, right? Um, and, and we do that. We seal our hearts so that we won't feel, right? So that we won't have to be responsible. If we don't feel it, we're not responsible for it. and And, and that's just not true. If we're created in God's image and God is a God of justice, then, then we need to stand. We need to make a difference. But we have to be very careful about how far we take it. With one rash act, Moses threw away, this is Dave now, he threw away 40 years of spiritual preparation. Right? How do I know that? Well, remember Joseph? Right? God strategically placed Joseph in this position of incredible influence, right? And so, with with one with, one rash act, and this is again me, my interpretation. God is always greater than my ability to comprehend. Um, God, Moses, with a holy zeal to rescue people, right, overstepped and 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 created a situation that would take forty more years to overcome. Now, God's timing is perfect. But from Moses' perspective, God had uniquely placed him. And God has uniquely placed you in situations for such a time as this. Don't throw it away by, by rash thought processes, right? Moses' failure didn't have to do with his motivation, right? His heart, as best I can tell, was in the right place. And and he was, and he was taking those baby steps, stepping outside of his upbringing. He was taking those baby steps to do something about it. The problem wasn't with his motivation. It was with his method. It was with his method. Right? Moses was trying to save God's people by his own works rather than letting God save them by his grace. Well, praise God, the story's not over. Moses... Learning, right? He has this first encounter between an Egyptian and a Hebrew. His second encounter is between his own people, right? Before it was for his people. Now it's between his people. And he goes out the next day and two Hebrews are struggling together. And he says to the wicked one, the literal translation, the wicked one, why are you doing this? Why are you striking your companion? And he says, who made you prince and judge over us, right? By the way... (laughs) Isn't that amazing that he says those words? Because that's exactly what God did. God made Moses prince and judge over the Hebrew people, right? Um, So the man actually articulates what God is doing, right? But he means it differently. And then he throws in the zinger. He says, do you mean to kill me? Do you mean to kill me like you killed the Egyptian and... I just think how many times in my life when I've tried to step out in faith and what God is calling me to do, right? And then somebody comes along with some snide comment or something. I'm not saying this to blame them. I'm showing you how weak my own sense of call is. That someone comes in with a snide comment and I get stung by it and I withdraw, right? I withdraw. When Actually, what this man said was absolutely true. God made him prince and judge. God put him in that role, but when Moses heard it, verse 14 and 15, Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing was known. By the way, who, how did that guy know? There's only one other person besides Moses, right, that knew the story. The guy who was rescued. The guy that Moses rescued, right? And, and, well, I shouldn't say that, the the offender was there too. Um, Moses has learned he didn't kill the guy this time, right? Um, But those people had shared that story and now it has become known. In fact, Pharaoh becomes aware of it and Pharaoh seeks to kill Moses. Not the first time Pharaoh had sought to kill Moses, right? Um, But this time, rather than being drawn out and watching God's miraculous solution to the problem, Moses said, I'm not blaming him. I am Moses. We are Jonah, right? I am Moses, but but he's overcome with fear and he flees. We'll come back to that thought in a minute. But Moses flees and runs away. And so Moses is discredited now twice, both among the Egyptians and among his own people. Moses is discredited. But apparently, there's a lot more going on here than than we can see. And I just commend to you because we're running out of time. But I commend to you, Acts seven, and and. Stephen's understanding of what was going on. Stephen says in Acts 7.25 that he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Guess what? People will not understand as you try and live out the Christ life. People will call you all kinds of things. They will misunderstand your motives. They will not necessarily understand. But the author of the book of Hebrews gives us amazing insight too. By faith... He says, this is the faith chapter, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, as Tom read, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So verse 25 says, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy sin. Wow, watch out, watch out, beloved. I'm going I'm to do what God did to me this week. It's going to come right back at us, isn't it, right? Moses chose mistreatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. And that kind of, that kind of, Answers a question I had. Why didn't Moses just stay in the palace, right? Why didn't he just lie low, be cool, and, and, and wait? Because his people were suffering, and he was having an identity crisis. He was having to choose who he would identify with. So if his second exodus was to be drawn out to his people, maybe, just maybe we're seeing the first one right here, right? The first one was to be drawn out of his sin. To be drawn out of his sin. Moses felt God calling him out. Again, think of all that he gave up. This is no small thing, right? But God is is asking him to identify differently, to identify as a broken person rather than as one who has it together, as somebody who has needs rather than as one who has everything. Moses chose to be mistreated rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. So two quick questions for you right here. Moses was called out of Egypt. What's your Egypt? What is that thing that is so tempting to say, you know, I, I feel the urging of the Holy Spirit to leave this part of my life behind, Right? I feel the urge to to identify differently. I feel the urge to identify with the suffering and God's people rather than the cool people and the ones in power, right? I feel this different. What's your Egypt? It's different for each of us. It's different for each of us. But maybe, just maybe God is calling you out of it as well. And he never calls us to something that he does not give us the strength to do. What is your Egypt? But secondly, just a really pragmatic question. How many of us, how many of us would be willing to leave the luxuries of this life, right? In order to obey the call of God. I I mean, I don't like leaving the luxury of my warm bed in the morning much less what God is asking of Moses what is what is God asking of you? what are you holding on to just because it's a luxury? You can see a parallel here, right? Um, we're very blessed with many things we live we live among the top Two or three percent of people that have ever walked the face of the earth. You, uh, Pharaohs and Pharaohesses, well, that didn't come out well. You live better than Pharaoh did. You do. You say so you don't know my life. I, I do know your life. You live better than Pharaoh did, right? What are you going to live for, right? God has special promises. For those who will risk trusting him, even if it looks like you're leaving behind something very precious to you. I mean, otherwise we'd never leave home, right? Some of us struggling, right? We'd never leave home. Are you willing to risk leaving something for God's greater glory and for your good? Verse 26 says he gave it up for another reason. In verse 26, the author of Hebrews says he gave it up because of the Christ. He gave it up because of Jesus, and you go wait a second. wasn't this three thousand years before the time of Christ. Yeah, it was, but but the people of God, you know, all the time before Christ aren't, aren't condemned to hell, right? They if they looked for the Messiah, if they longed for that day when the Messiah would come, it was counted to them as righteousness, right? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what's happening here is the author of the book of Hebrews is linking faithfulness to God with belief in Christ. And we're on the other side of the Christ event. We look back to the Christ event. We celebrated that last week in the sacrament of Holy Communion. We look back to it. But the author here is linking the same two concepts. The faithfulness to God with belief in Christ. Verse 27 says that he left Egypt not in fear, but in faith. Uh, and we, don't, we don't have time, but I gotta go here with you. So we got a contradiction of scripture here. What do we got here, right? Because Exodus said he was afraid and he fled. Hebrews says he didn't leave in fear, he led in faith. I think what's I have to short circuit that long discussion, but but I think what he's saying is that Moses' faith was stronger than his fear. Right? When you went to Japan, I mean, you know, were you afraid? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. But your faith was stronger than your fear. You knew that, that God is faithful and you put your trust in that. So Moses has intervened between an Egyptian He's intervened for His people. He's intervened between His people. And now He intervenes for strangers, right? God takes every circumstance we find ourselves in and uses it somehow for His glory. And I won't read the long Scripture, but remember the story that Moses fled. He finally, uh, uh, finally just runs out of energy. It says he sat down by a well, right? Well, pretty soon, seven daughters of, of the priest's Of Midian, a central figure in that culture, come to water their flocks and they draw out, literally, there's that word again, they draw out water and they put it in the troughs for the sheep and right then, having lurked in the background until that time, the other shepherds who don't have seven women to come pour the water for them, they wait until they've got the water out there and then they bring their sheep in like they did every day for the past several months or years, right? And, and they wait and then they flock down. By the way, that's one of the characteristics of the Midianites in the story of Gideon, that they wait until the crop came in and they, flock, they swoop down and steal the flock. Well, Moses is sitting there at that well and he sees what's going on and it's very clear he stands and he saves them. He saves them. Doesn't tell him how he did it. All we know is that he apparently didn't kill him, right? And it could be that maybe those forty years was starting, starting to show that that his confidence in God made him stand up against injustice. His confidence in God made him stand up against people that could have easily outnumbered him, and and he saves these women from these. Men shepherds who were taking advantage of them, and he drives them away, right? And then watch what happens. Then he waters their flock. Pretty cool, huh? I'm, I'm, I'm an alliteration guy. He didn't just stand and say, but he served them, right? He served them. He served their flocks. And then he, I think if I understand it right, he, he gave them water. Right, he gave them water, and they are flabbergasted. They go, they go back home, and they say, "Dad, Dad says, what are you doing home so early?" They said, "Well, for the first time in in, in the time that I can remember, uh, we didn't have to do water everybody's flocks. We 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 went there, and there was an Egyptian who saved us. Right, there was an Egyptian who saved us. An Egyptian, uh, verse two, uh, chapter two, nineteen, delivered us. See what's happening." He's getting it. He's getting it. An Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds. Oh, it's really important to understand what God was doing, to understand who the Midianites were. Midian literally means place of judgment. Moses went from a place of unbridled sin to a place of judgment. But Moses is learning what's going on. And Moses is understanding, yes, it wasn't an accident that God caused that emotion to rise up in me. I mishandled it. I killed the guy in Egypt. But, but, but I'm actually called and gifted to protect the, and deliver the weak and vulnerable, right? Moses is starting to understand who he is. And don't miss this. And he, the Egyptian who delivered the weak from the shepherds becomes the shepherd who delivers the weak from the Egyptians. Isn't God got a great sense of humor, and and, and a beautiful symmetry. Moses is starting to understand his call. Do you understand your call? Because it changes everything. It changes, it takes away all the angst, it takes away all the fear. All of a sudden you begin to trust in the one who created you and formed you and has given your life meaning and purpose. Moses realized that neither Egypt nor Midian, neither the pleasures of sin nor the place of judgment was his home. That his home was this in-between place. And, and, and you discover what he understood by the naming of his son. He called his son Gershom or Sojourner, which means stranger. I'm a stranger here, right? He learned that this world is not his home. He learned that this world is not his home. I'm going to have to jump because of time, but let me just say that Moses spent the next 40 years of his life learning to intercede rather than to intervene. Can I say that again? He spent the next 40 years, the middle 40 years, from age 40 to 80, learning to intercede rather than to Intervene. Let me just wrap it up by saying Jesus is the ultimate divine intervention. You don't have to fear that if you don't do something, nothing will happen. No, you can you can do something much more important. You can bring the resources of eternity to bear on a situation. You can pray, oh, I wish we had time, because we've had that experience here where, where we had desperate needs and 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 and, and we wanted to go out and do something, and instead we prayed, and while we were praying, God answered our prayer. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. God has answered your prayer. Jesus is your ultimate divine intervention. He became a servant. Nothing. Just like Moses. He left, not Egypt, but the palace of heaven and all the riches there to become one of his people, right? Just as Moses left Pharaoh's courts to identify with people. Jesus did that to lead us out of the slavery of sin to provide the rescue and release and freedom for his people. I've called attention today to all the ways that Moses intervened, but they pale in comparison to what Jesus has done. Moses was pointing to Jesus. Without Jesus, we're under the, the harshest of slave masters. Our adversary, the evil one, right? Our own sin, the world around us. We have a sentence for a lifetime of slavery and an and eternity of condemnation, right? Hanging over our heads. We need someone to, to, to deliver us. And God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus on an ultimate rescue mission, intervening on our behalf, taking our sins upon himself, taking our death upon himself, taking hell upon himself, that sin would no longer have power over us. So maybe just maybe our job is to intercede before we intervene. Maybe we need to call down the resources of eternity to to make a difference rather than trying to provide our own solutions. Well, I've been using a word that I haven't explained. What is this intercede? It's to stand before God for someone else. To pray and to fast for a person or people. God said in Ezekiel, "I'm, I'm looking for a woman, I'm looking for a man who will stand in the gap on behalf of the land. And it's almost like brokenhearted, but I found none. I found none. He was talking, by the way, about his own people. He wasn't talking about the Egypts. He was talking about his own people. I'm looking for someone who will intercede. So let me give you, in closing, an invitation to intercede. And I want to say this very specifically today. I've just got shivers down my spine because I don't like doing this. I don't like hanging myself out. I want you to intercede with me. With me. Paul said in Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I'm asking you to join me to pray that God will raise up 30,000 prayer warriors by February 1st. I'm asking, will you pray with me that God will raise up 30,000 prayer warriors by, by February 1st, who will pray daily for every person in this city. Not that not, not one person will pray for every person. You, you'll have 12 people to pray for. I need 30,000. I'm asking God for it. I was asking God, please, please send somebody else, God. I can't do this. And nobody else. I looked here and there, and nobody came. Which is probably the true meaning of what happened for Moses. He wasn't looking to hide his sin. He was looking for someone to step up, and no one stepped up, so he said, I guess it's me. Pray with me for 30,000 prayer warriors. Pray with me, would you, specifically for 600 prayer champions who will cast vision for citywide prayer in their churches, in their institutions, their hospitals, their nursing homes, who will cast vision for praying for our city. Pray with me for 60 prayer catalysts who will call and coach those prayer champions. That's my most immediate need. I'm asking you to pray for me for two weeks, that God will raise up 60 prayer catalysts and that he'll raise up 12 prayer coordinators. God is going to do something powerful in Evansville in 2020, but he's not going to do it unless we pray for it, unless we ask for it. Would you pray with me for those things? And then, and then I'm asking you to intercede for me, for me. I don't want this job, but um, God has given it to me. Would you pray specifically for two weeks for me that God would raise up those 12 and he'd raise up those 60 and that I could release it to them and let him uh, glorify himself through it Paul said, pray also for me whenever I speak that words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of God. Beloved, I want you to um, join me in building a foundation of prayer in this city that, that the gates of hell will tremble at as a result. I'm going to invite you. I just want to show you where we're going. I'm going to invite you in the month of November to pray daily for your family. For your family. God does amazing things when we pray for our family, doesn't he? God does. I'm going to ask you in December to pray for your neighbors. Pray daily for your neighbors. You choose the number. One neighbor. could be five neighbors. I'm praying for 40 of my neighbors right now. And, and I'll give you tools to help you do that. I'm going to cry out in January for this church, this church, for our church family, that God will speak and God will lead and God will bless. And then we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our city in February. Your eyes are bigger than your stomach. You're thinking, I don't want the job. But there's no one else. Will you join me? Will you? Pray with me, would you? God, thank you for Moses. Thank you. I can identify with him. God, I am Moses. And that's only become more apparent in the weeks ahead. God, I make all kinds of excuses to to run away from the call, to deny who I really am, to live artificially in someone else's world because I think that makes me so much more acceptable. Forgive me, God. And forgive us when we've chosen the pleasures of Egypt rather than, God, to identify with you and your children. God, help us to pray. Help us, Father, to to pray for ourselves when we know we're far from you, to believe that the blood of Jesus is sufficient, God, That, that it overcomes even our brokenness and our pain. God, help us to put our faith not in what is seen, but what is unseen. God, help us, if you would, to offer our whole selves, all that we are, to your purposes.